Hey, it's Darren Johnson, Greenwich Journal and Salem Press newspaper, a newspaper in upstate New York. I'm the sole proprietor of it, and we have uh, a lot of freelancers and volunteers and, and others in the community who I'm very thankful for who help with the content each issue. Uh, it's kind of a different you know, way of um, doing journalism that probably dates back to more like the style of the 1800s and early 1900s uh, rural, rural newspapers. If you remember, um, if you read To Kill a Mockingbird, there was a, uh, a hometown newspaper in that, and it was pretty much just one person kind of doing everything. Uh, that's kind of how these papers have to operate in this day and age. Uh, so we've gone full circle. Uh, we went from, in journalism, um, that, to it being uh, chains buying up newspapers and uh, professionalizing them. Uh, you had like the Hearst family and the Pulitzer family and uh, you know the various chains that um, stretched across the country and they hired whole newsrooms. You know, you'd see that in movies like um, Superman, you know, the early Superman where they'd work around the office and and they had deadlines and, you know, oh, wow, I got on the front page today, you know, that type of thing, um, competing in the newsroom. And everyone was compartmentalized. So you could be just a columnist, and that's all you were for 40 years. You were a columnist. Or you could just be a, um, you just handle the classified ads. Or you distribute the paper. Or, so now it's, uh, we've kind of gone full circle again. There was a little bit of a, um, you know, there were a lot of changes in the late 1900s with the invention of software that helped newspapers, um, you know, even pre-internet, uh, be able to produce at a mu in a much easier way uh, in some regards. You didn't need like whole, you know, people running um, linotype and, and those types of things um, in, a, in a big machine. And, you know, it wasn't, um, the physical factor became a little bit easier. So, you know, those changes happened in the late 90s, and then there was another round of professionalism and conglomeration, and a lot of those independent newspapers uh, by then, including the Greenwich Journal and the Salem Press, were starting to get a little bit old. Um, they still were using the older practices of, of putting out papers, and just physically, the people that owned them were getting old. And so a lot of those papers ended up getting bought out. I was at a newspaper on Long Island that went through that. It had a very old uh, owner um, who, you know, loved it, but was bedridden and was still trying to put out a newspaper. And it was bought up by um, someone who owned several newspapers and their family had owned several newspapers. And, um, and everything was professionalized. We got Macintosh computers and and uh, we all learned layout and things of that nature and, and started to put out a paper and it won awards. It became one of the best newspapers in the state of New York. But, um, it, you know, also something was kind of lost there, uh, too, with that. You know, you lost that um, hometown business feel, I think it might be, or um, a connection to the uh, community, maybe a little tiny bit. Even though the people that worked at it, you know, were involved in the community, um, maybe you lose a little bit of that when a paper is bought by um, by a chain. And the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press—it's one newspaper, but they combined in the, I guess, the 70s, give or take. 
um, you know, because newspapers weren't always, if you look at the newspaper history of, of the region I'm in, there have been dozens of newspapers, and most of them are long forgotten and not even archived. Uh, you can't find old versions anywhere. So I'm, in a way, lucky to have the one paper in this region that's over 100 years old and has a whole archive behind it. And people before me at the local library, um, they um, they created PDFs out of old editions. And, and this is the only paper in this immediate area that is on the New York State Historic Newspaper website. So um, so that's really good. Now, I've been helping the cause since I took over this paper four years ago, and I can create the PDFs myself and get them posted up on the New York Historic Newspaper website. So, um, so I'm doing my share, but there's so many papers that don't have that going on. They're, they're older newspapers, and I was approached a couple of times since I bought this paper because... It made some headlines when I bought, you know, 180-year-old, I guess it's going to be 183 this coming year, 183-year-old uh, newspaper. Um, it made some headlines because the story usually is, oh, these papers just go defunct and um, or they just get bought by a chain and they get bastardized and turned into the penny saver or something. So this paper, luckily, the family that owned it um, in the 90s, and they didn't, they resisted the forces of selling the paper to a chain and they did keep it going and they were able to figure it out. Um, they were able to figure out the software and to keep it going in some regard up until the early 2000s. And then it went through a string of, of owners um, up until me and I bought it just before the pandemic, uh, Thanksgiving before the pandemic and um, put out the first issue on the 1st of 2020. And I've been consistent with it. You know, I, I come out with it and I do a lot of, um, this newspaper was commended by the State Historical Newspaper Association for keeping its integrity and um, keeping its flavor because I look through the archives and I read them all the time. I walk through the cemetery in Greenwich and look at the, the gravestones of the former um, editors here and, and part of me considers hey maybe I should you know someday who knows uh, I'm hopefully not you know for a while but maybe I should put something like that on my gravestone let's say I put in another 15 years of doing this I don't know um, you know then will I uh, be worthy of having a gravestone that says publisher of the Greenwich Journal newspaper um, you know but there's so many practical aspects nowadays too you can't really you can't really um expect print newspapers to be around in 15 years that, that's just crazy i guess some might be some might figure it out i've been figuring it out somehow so you might be able to figure it out but it's not reasonable to think that you know to think hey these papers might be around um, when I look at the old stories of the previous editors and publishers, and I have one coming up that's brewing um, on a publisher that uh, kind of almost saved the paper in the late 1800s. It was really, it really wasn't a professional newspaper until this publisher took over, in my opinion, because I look at the archives all the time. And it was a good country paper, I guess, you know, something to, for people to pass the time. But until, like... This publisher took over after the Civil War. 
until then the paper wasn't it was mostly just borrowed copy and poems and like little anecdotes that could be published in any newspaper in America and you know it didn't have that um it didn't have that local flavor to it really so when I write I write an archive column where I go back like to old newspapers um you know this year uh 160 years ago this you know we published and I'll pull a little snippet out Whenever I pull a snippet out from the old newspapers, the uh, pre-Civil War newspapers, um, it's always kind of just, they're, they're almost like proverbs they're written as. Like, if you want to have, you know, good, uh, if you have a good nature, you can um, attract a mate, you know, and, and those types of things that were just, um, they're just life lessons, I guess, they had in, in those old papers. And if you really look, you can find some maybe elements that, that portend to the paper being local. But for the first 20, 30 years of the paper, it really wasn't putting out anything that resembles journalism. Um, if you relate journalism to being, let me go out and get a story. You know, um, it was more like, oh, here's a bunch of, of interesting ideas and let's put those in the paper or let's just publish this. Um, transcript from a speech that someone gave at a conference um, as is and we'll just put that in there it'll just say here's uh, Joe Smith's speech from the meeting of the um, Whig party in you know 1843 or something like that and it'll just publish it and that's the that's the uh, that's it so you're supposed to I guess people had nothing to do back then there was no other reading material um, there was no, there were no radio stations. There was no, um, no TV, no internet. So, you know, if, if whatever the newspaper put out there, you just like you were bored, you sat around and you read about, um, random stuff. And I guess if you look at Facebook today or, you know, social media in general, it is kind of random. So maybe social media is at that point in time where it's just, you know, it's like, uh, your aunt's, um, cat picture could be followed up by, a picture of like, um, you know, Vladimir Putin, you know, or, uh, you know, there could, and then the next thing could be, uh, someone posts a picture of their lunch and then, you know, there's something about Hamas. Um, so all kinds of, uh, it's all kinds of randomness nowadays on, on the internet. And that's how newspapers were. In any case, um, I write this, uh, year interview every year. And this year I wasn't as into it. I just wasn't um, in the mood, I guess. I've had a lot of bad luck, you know, in personal life um, past few months. And it just like, it just brings you down. So it's like, and also the end of the year is kind of rough with holidays and all that. It's always rough putting out the issue that is printed. Uh, you know, the New Year's issue, the first issue of the year is printed during the week between Christmas and New Year's. So you have to work around printer schedules and um, and they take days off too. So you, don't, you have a limited window. And then none of the, you know, a lot of the usual columnists don't want to write for it. They just want to take the week and spend it with their family because let's face it, they're not getting paid, most of them. And it's really asking, you know, it's asking a lot. Hey, can you, you know, Christmas Eve, can you write 
um, a column about something. That's kind of asking a lot. So I understand that completely. And, and so we don't have the same usual columnist. So there's that. Then there's, you know, already these type historic newspapers don't get a lot of advertising anymore. I'd like to fix that problem. And I have some ideas, but finding the energy and time to fix the problem is, is a whole different matter. But there's a million reasons why. But these old historic newspapers don't have the advertising they used to, especially after Christmas, you know, when all the buying, the buying spree is done for everyone. So um, there's not the advertising. Well, advertising, if you're trying to put out a paper that's the same size, this paper is it's kind of a large format, 24 pages. You know, let's say you had like six pages of advertising. That means you only have to put together 18 pages of editorial, a couple of which might be comics and puzzles, and then um, maybe a couple of pages of syndicated columns. So now you're down to 14 pages, and the, the cover is pretty easy to throw together. It's just like, it just sums up your best stories. Uh, so that is, um, that's another page. And, you know, then you're maybe down to, uh, and then, you know, a couple of columnists do come through. So maybe you're down to like nine pages to have to fill. And that isn't bad, filling nine pages. And, you know, even this time of year, the press releases um, have all wound down. Now, everyone hates press releases, but they do serve a purpose. You get them, and if a page can hold a thousand words and someone submits 800 words, what do you do with those other 200 words? Um, you know, wh where, where do you find them? I mean, you can't just leave a hole in the paper. Oh, wow, I got a press release from the Cub Scouts. You know, they're holding their Pinewood Derby. Um, I'll put that in there. That's 200 words. And uh, so you write a little headline, you put a little box around it, and that helps fill the space. So the press releases help a lot. Well, after Christmas, those all dry up because no one's doing anything between Christmas and New Year's. And people that are professional press release writers they're actually out of the office. They're not. They're not working their nine to five, so they're not pumping out cop, top copy. So I go scraping. You know, I'll go scraping through the. Um, I have a special folder in my email. It's like, oh, let me see uh, what I can dig up to fill space. So um, someone like uh, an Adirondack Community College, which is the community college in this region, they um, they pump out like one a week. And usually they're a lot of times they're relatively evergreen. So it could be like, hey, starting in the spring, we have a new course on horticulture or something like that. And I can say, all right, spring hasn't started yet. Um, I can put that in the paper anytime up until spring. So, you know, something like that. Or we have a new board of trustees and here's their photos. And it's like, perfect. I have a quarter of a page to fill. I can put that there. So those actually help a lot. Uh, so lack of ads, lack of press releases, some columnists taking time off. Uh, there's no government meetings, so it's not like I can just you know try to drum up something. Um, you know, a lot of times, I, I did beats for a while in the '90s and such, and um, you can go to a government meeting and you could write it big or you could write it small. Well, if you knew you had a lot of holes to fill in the paper, you could write it big. Like if they talked about parking for 25 minutes. If you're writing small, you would just make that a bullet point at the end of your larger story. Um, but if, if you're writing big, you turn it into its own little 400, 500-word story. You can turn any meeting into a bigger, small story as long as there's some substance there. But there weren't even government meetings 
you know, this time of year. So it's a tough issue. So normally I try to fill space with what's called the year interview. But this year I just, it, it requires me reading all the copies, all 24 copies of the paper that came out last year, since we come out twice a month, and, um, and kind of picking. And this year I kind of rifled through them. So I, I might have missed a few key stories in my year interview. Overall, I kind of like the format of the twice a month, and I'm going to, this coming year, this paper was a weekly for like 179 years of its existence, but I just couldn't, um, I, could, I crunched the numbers, and I couldn't do, and if it were going to be a weekly, it would have to be like smaller, it couldn't be 24 pages. Uh, so it would have to be like maybe a 12 or 14 or 16 pager or something like that, and it couldn't be 24 pages. Um, and then you're paying for two print runs. You don't really save that much money by cutting pages. So it's not like it's, if you cut it to half, it costs half as much. It costs maybe two thirds as much, you know? So you don't lose, you don't gain that much by cutting pages. So I looked at all the numbers. I said, and also, you know, the time, you know, I have to, this paper isn't raking in tons of money and I have to make a living. So I have to do other things. So I was like, all right, twice a month, if I'm going to keep this paper alive, that's kind of the um, way to do it. But then the pandemic happened, and some ideas I had to make, like the website, and maybe do an e-newsletter in between those two issues a month, uh, I just got consumed with everything else going on. And, you know, if I had if I had the lottery, I'd love to open an office um, where it was kind of like, you know, the newspapers they used to work in. Uh, where you can come in nine to five and place a classified ad or place, uh, you know, an obituary or something like that. I would love to have that circumstance. Uh, but the financial reality is, is that I need to pay my mortgage and and other things. And this newspaper certainly is not going to pay my mortgage. That said, because I do have all this journalism training and know how to make a paper like in the, you know, just like those sole proprietor newspapers from the 1800s, I know how to make a paper myself. I can do it for my living room. Um, I can keep this paper going forever. I know the software, I know the writing, I know the editing. Um, and as long as I could pay the printing bill and the post office bill um, and the occasional bill that comes up, I pretty much cut everything. Uh, I cut like useless press association memberships. Um, you know that that those press associations they just uh, they just uh, they're all about like awards contests, and I think they're they're so out of touch with what the real problems of newspapers were. I alluded to it previously that I had been approached by two newspapers since taking over the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press. And they were similarly going out of business. And not only this paper, but I worked for another paper, like I said, that had um, that had old ownership that hadn't changed its ways and really couldn't do. If you if you can't do everything with the newspaper, it's going to die. Like if you can't do the layout, you can't do the writing, you can't um, you can't manage, you know, the circulation. If you can't do it, if you don't have a strong back, if you don't have uh, uh, technical computer abilities, add in, you should be able to know also HTML, WordPress, and those type of things. You should know that too. But if you don't, okay, some papers exist as print only, 
that's fine. But you probably should know the technical stuff. At the very least, you can make a better print newspaper by knowing the technical stuff. Like you can use AI to create um, an image uh, to, like, let's say you have that situation where you have a hole on the page and someone wrote a column about potholes. You can ask AI to create an image if you give it a very specific prompt of, hey, create a pothole on Main Street on a rainy day um, in the artistic form of Art Deco. And it can create an image that you have to know your terminology, but it can create an image that would look just as much, just as good as if you hired a local artist to um, create it. And it's way more practical because hiring local artists is a pain in the butt. They all have personalities and they're not always uh, friendly personalities and they're not quick personalities by any stretch. And a lot of times they submit work that isn't, you know, what you expect. If you, if I told uh, a local artist, hey, can you create a pothole? First off, it wouldn't, he wouldn't do it right away or she wouldn't do it. Uh, I'd probably have to wait a week. Um, here you can go on AI. Hey, I have this hole to fill in a newspaper and give it those prompts and you have an image. It's, they give you actually four images to choose from. And if you don't like it, you just tell it to make something else. So, um, so you know, knowing the technology definitely could help you. So these two newspapers that approached me were both in upstate New York. You know, upstate is a nebulous term, but let's say upstate is... I lived on Long Island for a long time. I was raised in, in true upstate New York, Utica, New York. Um, but um, I lived on Long Island. I went to college on Long Island and stayed there and worked at newspapers down there. And down there, they consider anything, like once you get out of New York City, upstate, like maybe even Westchester County, they'd consider like Yonkers and all that upstate. And technically, I guess, if, you know, if... You look at the population, you know, there's like 8 million people in New York City and maybe 2 million on Long Island. And, um, you know, so half the state's population is actually in the other half. So if you're going to cut it along those lines, it makes some sense. But a lot of people consider the Hudson Valley not upstate. So you might say where the Tappan Zee Bridge um, starts to, you know maybe that is where upstate begins. Some people say Albany. So um, anyway, these were upstate, upstate New York. They weren't just uh, borderline upstate New York. And they both approached me. And one, um, you know, they had a, an asking price, which I felt was unreasonable because, first off, these papers aren't really making profit. Let's face it. And they try to say, you know, both of them had an asking price that was unreasonable. You know, really, the asking price should be, please take this paper, you know, I'll give it to you for a dollar or $1,000 or $10,000 at the most. Um, because those days are done where you're getting ads. And they might say, well, we have existing ads. Why can't you just keep those? Well, there's no guarantee those existing ads are going to stick around. In fact, they might just have those ads because the local business always advertised with that particular family that owned the newspaper. And once that personal relationship is gone, they'll pull their ads, which they probably will. Secondly, ads in paid circulation print newspapers, which have a limited circulation because they're paid circulation, they don't have a free circulation like a free paper, um, they're, they're becoming a dinosaur. Second, you can't really find anyone to sell those ads. 
So um, the one paper in, um, you know, because they, people can sell so many other things nowadays. You don't have to sell ads at your local paper. There's, there's better things you can sell. You can sell Internet ads, you know, and make more money. Um, so there's other things people could sell. You could sell cars. You could sell, you know, whatever. There's other things you could sell. Uh, that pay a lot more than selling like a four-column ad on page 16 in black and white. So you know, there's there's that. Let's be real about um, about the business model. Um, but they had unreasonable asking prices. But even then, it seemed like if I did come in at a uh, at a lower price, maybe they would have negotiated. But it never got to those points. Um, the other thing is, I said you're probably going to have to do. I looked at their books. I said, you're probably going to have to do what I did with, with the Greenwich Journal and, news, and the Salem Press newspaper. You're going to have to cut circulation, maybe make it um, a twice monthly or biweekly or something like that, but make it a better paper. So now you, you do lose some legal advertising if you're not out weekly. Um, some government entities feel that they need to be out weekly with their legal ads and they'll they'll askew a newspaper that isn't weekly that's what happened with the greenwich journal you get very little legal ads but those only pay pennies anyway they don't pay a lot um and you're probably gonna have to cut that cut your circulation but come out with a better paper so this paper the greenwich journal and salem press the previous owner was keeping up with a weekly schedule but was putting out like an eight-page paper, you know, that um, had no real, it had some writing in it, but not a lot of of reporting per se. And I, granted, I wish we had more reporting too. There's This paper purports to cover like six different towns, and we can't cover any particular town that greatly. I wish we had more reporting as well. Um, and in this coming year, I'd like to consolidate and focus on the one town that we do have the most readers in and maybe cover as a beat um, town, maybe village, maybe school, and, and consolidate that more. But, um, but you're probably going to have to do that and turn it into a biweekly. Um, that way, you don't have to pay back the subscribers. So, you know, all these people subscribe to your paper, and the good thing to do would be to refund their money, I would think, um, if, they, if you cancel the paper all of a sudden. So that could be $30,000, $40,000 of debt that you have. So the new owner would assume those subscribers. And um, so there, you're saving money right there, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're keeping the paper going. And make it a better paper every two weeks as opposed to a, oh, geez, we have to get out this paper just for the legal ads and the obituaries and we'll throw a few press releases in there and rush it out. Um, make it a slightly better paper. And the archives will thank you too because when people look at the paper 20, 30, 40 years from now, they won't care that it was weekly or biweekly. They'll care that it was good. And people will, will look back at the paper and say, oh, they, they really tried. So, like, when I look back at the old newspapers, I see, like, um, uh, you know, some of the previous publishers. And it, this newspaper's had a lot of publishers, the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press. A lot of them really cared, and a lot of them really tried. And I can see that in the paper. Like, some had a flair for 
um, and some didn't. So, um, so come out with a better paper, move all the writing to freelancers and or volunteers and people like that. Hey, if you ask, there's lots of people who are like 50, 60 years old who they've already had their working life or they, they've made money. They don't need the $50 for a, for a column or an article. They'll do it for free. Um, and some of them have journalism training. Or you could train them. You know, you being the journalist could train them and, um, and you know, go back and forth with them on the early pieces so they get the style down and understand what objectivity is and AP style, although I kind of don't really abide by AP style uh, in, in the local paper. I feel it's a little bit boring and a little bit too antiseptic. Um, but, you know, they can learn these things. Um, so I told both of them, you know, hey, you're going to probably have to change the model. They didn't like that. Uh, you get rid of the office. That's a huge expense. And um, it's the, the day where people walk in with a handwritten obituary or birth announcement or that type of thing, those are over. Um, yeah, it might be nice to have an office so that you could have like a little holiday office party or you know, maybe the occasional advertiser might pop in. You know, if we had a bustling Main Street here in Greenwich, um, if I had an office right on Main Street and we all were working together, getting coffee together, bumping into each other, like the newspaper I worked at in the 90s, that would be very beneficial to the newspaper. If it saw, like, myself and maybe a 23-year-old uh, writer and uh, bouncing around town, um, and maybe, you know, add in like a part-time ad exec or something and they can stop in and chat about the weather or something. Yes, that would help the newspaper a, a lot, but our downtown really isn't bustling. There really is, aren't businesses there that everyone's hanging out and saying, you know, in the middle of the day, let's go get a, let's go get a coffee or, Hey, did you see that Jets game last night? That's really not happening. So it's not really beneficial to have an office and, you know, so you have to get rid of the office. You have to cut down your printing to twice a month, which will save you a lot on your printing bill and your postage bill, but come out with a better paper. The subscribers won't complain if the paper truly is bigger and better. So you have to give them a value proposition and say, all right, hey, um, subscribers, I know you've been subscribing to this paper forever and it was 12 pages. We're not going to print as much, but we're going to give you 24 pages. And that's what I did, and none of them complained. I think maybe I refunded one person out of, like, a, you know, a thousand. Like, it was, uh, none of them complained. So, you know, that was my proposition, too. And, you know, how would I run these newspapers in far reaches of upstate New York? Um, I have a mailing permit. I probably could just, you know, do a lot of it from afar, and I probably would open an office in that case here, but it would just be an office where we just pumped out work. I could send the PDF of the paper to a printer in each of the towns, hire someone there in town to pick it up, and drop it off at the local grocery stores, post office, etc. You can do the post office forms online. So it could be done from afar. Would the towns, um, would the towns 
be upset that I didn't live locally, like that it wasn't locally owned. I think the prevailing feeling would be that, hey, this paper was going to go out of business. No one locally wanted to buy it. And it's either going to go out of business or someone else is going to take it. Secondly, of course, I'd have to visit the town and go to things and, you know, Chamber of Commerce things. So I'd have to, I'd have to do that. Uh, but third, I'd hire like a, a super freelancer, maybe someone who's like in their 30s or 40s uh, or 50s and they got laid off by a newspaper. And, you know, you can't be ageist. They could be 100. I don't care. But like a super freelancer. And that person would go and that person would be the face of the paper and um and they would just um uh, I, I guess it's called a w9 you know they would just be like a contractor but they would be the face and they'd, they'd be able to say to people hey i'm the whatever the editor or senior reporter something for the newspaper some title and they'd be a super freelancer gig economy type thing um and it would all somehow get done i think it's definitely doable uh one newspaper they wanted they wanted the asking price or you know they or at least somewhat of it they want you know they wanted me to pay pretty much the equivalent of buying a brand new car um to buy a newspaper you know and it's not really worth that um for a paper that you know they they would show spreadsheets saying oh look we could potentially be profitable but in reality when a new owner takes over a lot of the advertising is going to be lost right off the bat so um so that one, they just gave it to one of the employees, the newspaper, and it um, it still exists. It still prints, and the new employee took it over. But I guess if they could have gotten some sucker to give them a bunch of money, they would have taken it. The other paper I went back and forth, forth with, and I feel really bad about, it uh, is in a town and um, on the western tier, and it um, and it seemed like the proprietor i guess the owner was absentee for the most part and didn't live in the town that the newspaper was published in but had uh, an editor that did all the work and the editor just was like burnt out and couldn't do it anymore and they couldn't find anyone to take over in any regard either to be editor-in-chief or to sell the paper you know buy the paper no one wanted it because let's face it the the model wasn't good and this newspaper probably was on par with any newspaper I worked at in the 90s, it was on par with, you know, the Long Island newspapers. It was on par with um, the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press in the 90s, I'm sure. They were probably like equal, equally profitable, equally notable in state uh, state affairs, you know, because there's statewide press associations that, uh, that like do contests, like I said, and they win awards. And this paper won a lot of awards probably in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, when it had its first round of modernization that a lot of newspapers went through during that era. Um, but it didn't modernize since then. And it didn't really have a website of any note, just like a, the website only was like about subscriptions. No archives. Didn't work with the state on getting its archives out there. Uh, so nothing technical was going on there. So what I would be buying, essentially, if I bought this paper, would just be a newspaper that had not modernized. And it was a print paper that had a certain amount of subscribers, actually more than the Greenwich Journal, paid subscribers, but I would have to assume that debt, and then I would have to assume that 
enough of them would renew the paper for me to keep paying the printing and um, and mailing bills. You know, and those costs are always going up. Um, so I would have to assume enough would stay on. What, what's that magic number? Maybe two-thirds? If two-thirds of the subscribers stayed on, um, then it would be um, doable. So I didn't... Um, we couldn't, you know, agree to the fact that the newspaper wasn't profitable and it was a, a risky endeavor and maybe you should just give it to me or, you know, or get a nominal price um, for it. Uh, that newspaper had, like, there were other owners, I guess, and they all just hemmed and hawed. And it's weird that they sent me, like, a whole archive of the paper, like, from the past, I don't know, I have, like, 20 issues of this paper and it's sitting, and you know, I looked through them, and the paper was okay, but it did look like the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press um, before you know I kind of like gave it its latest round of modernization, um, and it didn't really the stories. There was some reporting, but the stories were they they weren't really groundbreaking in any way, and it was an okay paper. It had its spots that probably always existed like the same person probably always wrote a column on a certain page and uh, there was a humor column I guess that always appeared in a certain area um, so I guess a lot of that was was the same um, for many years and the non-technological person who had been managing the paper just kept filling the spaces and didn't really think much about it so I wasn't really, in my opinion, buying anything but a subscriber list, and then which I would have to fulfill, and wait at least a year to recoup any money back because um, because that's when people would start renewing their subscriptions. You know, some would renew in a month or two, I guess, if they were about to expire, and some wouldn't. But you know, that's that's a high risk. I don't know the the mores of that particular town. Uh, if like, oh no, we just like that paper because Joe works there. You know, I don't know what the what the particular deal is, uh, but it was a paper almost as old as the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press. You know, over a hundred and I don't know, thirty, forty years old. It was an old paper, and it existed for a long time, and it was very important um, to the history of that particular town. And I would have liked to have taken it over, and but they couldn't grasp that changes need to be made and that the paper really had no value. In fact, it had a negative value to it. But I would have liked to have kept it going and maybe I could have consolidated some of the efforts um, with this paper. Like, for example, if I have a column that's more generic, I could put it in both papers. Or the comics and puzzles could be the same in both papers. Or... Um, those types of things could be unique. Or I could now, let, let's say I did have like three historic upstate New York newspapers. I could start to cover like statewide issues maybe, you know, that appeal to, um, would appeal to all three newspapers, like new laws that are in effect, that affect everyone in the state. Um, so, or we could do like trend pieces where, 
if I had three newspapers in three different parts of the state where it talks about an overall statewide trend, but then we get a quote from an official in each part of the state so that it has more of a local feel to it to the people that read it. They could see their local congressperson's name or whatever in, in the paper. Um, so that's kind of my, you know, that deal, I think, was complicated. I talked to people that run other newspapers who also were approached and uh, press associations and such, and no one wanted that particular paper in a small town in, on the western tier, and they just let it, they just ghosted the town. Uh, the, like I said, the owner was absentee, and I would guess that, you know, it seems like their website um, doesn't even, um, it, it just hasn't been updated since they announced they were going out of business. So it's, um, I guess all those subscribers are out the money because it, it would say, I would think on the website, hey, if you um, were a subscriber, we're going to send you back your $40. Uh, it doesn't say that anywhere on the site. And that would probably take a lot of work, too, to prorate everyone's subscription and see what you owe them back. I don't know what the ethics or legality of that is. Um, I, I, I know the ethics. You should, you should refund people their money if they paid for a service and then you don't complete it. Um, I don't know what the legality is if a paper goes out of business. You know, no one's going to go to small claims court for forty dollars. But, um, but you know, I'm sure that's created a lot of ill will in that town too. That um, that's there. But I think I could have done it. I think I could have made a go of it. And you know, the the publisher also they tried to include in, in their profitability the fact that they had some ads, uh, just like the previous publisher, and there's no guarantee those ads are sticking around, you know? And so that's the, that's the debating point. So if you're listening to this podcast and you um, have a newspaper that's old and you're trying to sell it or you're thinking of selling it, you really can't, um, you can't assume advertising revenue is going to be there in the future. You can't even assume subscribing revenue is going to be there in the future like it is. Um, I've put a lot of sweat into reviving this local newspaper and subscriptions went up at first, but I think that was because of the pandemic. Um, but they've kind of plateaued for sure. New people aren't really subscribing. I offered like a dirt cheap subscription through the PTSA in, in town, through the school, and they publicized it and only a handful of people actually signed up for a dirt cheap, like almost nothing, subscription uh, to the paper. And so the younger generations, even if I put like more sports coverage, more school coverage, they're just not buying the paper. They're just, maybe if they hear their kid is in it, they'll go to the local um, Cumberland Farms and uh, a convenience store and buy it. But, um, but they're, not, they're not subscribing. They don't want it. They don't want it in their homes. It's kryptonite to them. Um, so, and, you know, people are, the older readers are, are unfortunately, you know, they're either moving away or they're passing away. And it's always sad when I get a notice that, you know, usually from a kid 
you know, their kids could be in their 60s by now, but the kid, like everyone from this region, it's like an upstate New York thing, they, they, they move away. Uh, your kids all leave because there's, there aren't good jobs around here. Um, so the kids come back to settle the estate, which I've seen like so much since I bought this paper, and um, and they they call and they'll cancel the subscription. Some have the gall to ask for uh, the um, to ask for the uh, remainder of like I had a, a person call the other day, and they were like, "Oh, my mother passed away. Um, how much how much did she have on her subscription left?" I said, "Oh, she had about six months left." And they were like, okay, could you send us the difference? And I was like, us? And they were like, yeah, there's three of us, uh, you know, settling the estate. So I was like, you're going to get about $7 each. Is that really worth it to you, $7, you know, to, uh, you know, to do that? You know, do you know the state of newspapers? Uh, I would have if they really wanted it. But they were like, no, I guess I'll just take the subscription then. Um, but it's like, you know, the... I see a lot of that, and it, actually a lot of the behavior I see is is kind of despicable with the way the kids come in and swoop in and take over the estate. So I say if you're getting old, spend every dollar you have. Don't leave those kids anything. Do a reverse mortgage and just live your life um, because I've seen so many despicable kids come in and uh, do... Uh, I had a neighbor who, um, you know, a very cantankerous neighbor, but whenever I'd look in the archives, I'd see the neighbor's name she had appeared in the newspaper a lot. I'd see, you know, her driveway across the street. Kids almost never visited, maybe once in a while, once or twice a year. And then they started visiting a lot. And then I find out she passed away. Um, and they sold the house, like, in a short sale. And they all were there all the time. They all were taking everything they needed. Um, but where were they all these years? You know, and I'm sure they got their share. And this woman who had appeared in the newspaper a good deal over the years, like I'd look through the archives, and she had a very distinctive name, so I'd notice it. And, you know, oh, look, she went to the Arts and Crafts Party in 1972 or something. Or, you know, oh, here's, some, here's an announcement of something. Appeared in the paper every now and then. This newspaper was her life. Um, they didn't even, and this is really common nowadays, didn't have the decency to print an obituary. Um, I don't even know if they wrote one, you know, but I didn't see it anywhere. I, I look at the local funeral parlor websites where they post them for free. I didn't see it. Um, so they didn't even have the decency to write and, and submit an obituary, which is, um, it's unfortunate because um, this is a newspaper that's being archived on state archives. This person lived in the place, loved the place, loved the newspaper, and the kids come in and don't place it. Or if they do get an obituary written, they just get one written by the funeral home. And then they might, this is a, an increasing, I spoke to the funeral home about this. It's an increasing um, uh, probability that they won't seek to get the obituary published in a newspaper. There might be some minor costs to that. We charge 100 bucks which isn't a lot, but, um, but they don't even want to spend the hundred bucks. You know, if you're spending five, 10,000 on a funeral, you know, in, in these cases, it's probably the la lower end they're spending on the funeral. What's a hundred bucks, but, um, and we have paper costs and things of that nature. It's not like it doesn't take us any time to do it and, um, and resources. So a hundred dollars seems more than fair. 
but they won't even do that when they hear it's $100. So it's like this person that re read and loved this newspaper and they appeared in it from time to time over the years, um, they don't even get that final say in the newspaper. And uh, that's, that's a little bit sad, I find. So even obituary revenue is going to go down um, in the years ahead. So these little newspapers won't be able to exist. A lot of them, like I mentioned, get legal advertising and um, that's going to disappear because there'll be legislation that's anti-newspaper that pulls them out of newspapers. And also, let's face it, legal ads don't really, they don't really meet the intended, um, the intention. Uh, they, uh, they, the, the goal of the legal ad is a town or some other entity puts something in the paper because um, they want to notify the public of of like a bond proposition or um, that there's going to be a meeting of the water board or something. They want to notify people. If only 10% of the community reads the newspaper, which is probably about right, is that really reaching the masses? And then it's this little tiny printed thing in the back of the newspaper. So even of those 10%, they're not seeing it. They just gloss over it. It just looks like fine print. So the legal ads don't really meet their intended goal. Uh, so I could see legal ads. I, I have no problem with legal ads disappearing from newspapers. Someone could just find them on the web and um, put them on Facebook or something, and, uh, and that's that for legal ads. So these money, um, uh, these money revenue streams for these small historic newspapers are all gone. Obituaries, uh, legal ads, and... Um, Display advertising, classified advertising left a long time ago. That went to the internet, Craigslist, etc. So all these revenue streams, fewer people are buying the paper, so they're not going to pay the $2 for a newspaper. We've had to raise our price at the paper over the years because it, um, it, there's fewer readers, so you have to pay for it some way. So you figure, all right, the, the diehards, the stalwarts, uh, they will be the ones that will, are willing to pay the 2 bucks. And the cheapskates will never pay anything. They won't pay 50 cents. So they had to raise the price. Post office is raising their bills. It's a really hard situation to be in with a newspaper. Now, a lot of people say, well, why don't you just modernize? Why don't you just turn it into a little web thing? And if you think about it, how many people have done that? Like, how many people have made a profitable local in a small town news website none it's like almost none i know one town i used to live in there is a a viable website but the owner is semi-retired and was a real journalist but um and they have a really good person selling ads as best they can and maybe they're making fifty dollars here fifty dollars there it, for someone to make a living wage on, in a small town with uh, an internet only newspaper it's it's impossible. Now you could say, all oh, right, you could sell services with your newspaper. Like, I'll come down and take a little video of your pizza place, and I'll charge you five hundred dollars, and we'll put that on the internet, and get you know ten thousand likes on it. All right, fine. I can do that. I have all the tools in the shed to do that. I even have the. I've even built our. That's the one difference between the Greenwich Journal, and this newspaper that was going out of business, and it did go out of business. They you know they ghosted their their readership. Um, the big difference was is we have some digital aspects going on. 
I'd like our WordPress site to be better, but that takes hours and hours, so I don't have time for that right now. But our social media is doing well. Actually, Facebook sends me a few dollars here and there because we get so much traffic. So we have like 10,000 local loyal followers on social media. Um, I filmed the uh, and broadcast live a local parade, and it got um, like 25,000 views or something crazy like that. So it's I, I have all the tools in the shed to go and film the local pizza place and do a little commercial for them and put it on our social media, and it will get likes, and it'll probably get them more business. It probably would be a winning proposition for them, and it would put a few dollars in my pocket. But... Is that who I want to be? Like, is that who I want to be? Someone who sells ads to the um, local pizza places, and I'm coming down there with my little camera, some 50-something-year-old guy, and I'm you know filming 18-year-old kids rolling dough and, and putting sauce on a fucking pizza. You know, is that what I really? Is that who I want to be? Apologize for the F word, but it's like a lot of the. I listen to all these pundits on how to save your newspaper, and none of it's practical, and all of it's pie in the sky, and all of it is in the, the ways that do suggest that your um, newspaper survive are not journalism. They're like, well, why don't you sell these types of ads or this type of thing, these digital products? None of that really works. That said, I'm not, you know, I'm not woe is me. Um, I make a living. I get university teaching jobs because I know journalism and I worked in it a while and I have an advanced degree and all that. So, um, and I do own a free newspaper that does relatively okay. So I'm able to pay that mortgage that I mentioned previously. Um, and I can keep this thing going even if it's at a loss or at a, you know, whatever, a plateau or, you know, break even or whatever it is. It's hard to know with the newspaper because you write off every expense. You know, what is, um, uh, you know, it's definitely not profitable, but how unprofitable it is, it's hard to know. Um, you know, is that what, it, can, it, can it make it to the next level? All right, so next level are the um there might be some funding coming from either the government and or google facebook etc because yes they've been stealing our content forever and ever and ever and they put it out there for free and that's why people have been trained not to pay for journalism because they've been getting it for free for so long now so there might be some settlements um the country of uh well some european countries australia canada They've made some headway in getting some payments for newspapers. So there could be some money there. You know, I, I, I don't have my hopes up, but there could, and, and there are, the problem with a small paper like this is we have no, like, accountants and no lawyers and no anyone. So let's face it, the people who are going to get the money are going to be the ones, the, the richer papers that, um, that are much more corporate in nature. They're going to be the ones who get the money. Or... Or people who are politically connected, and they have they put up a shingle saying they're a journalist, and uh, they'll get the money. Or um, so you know, but that could come in. There could be a few dollars here or there. Um, I think that there's a model that I've been working on, and I haven't seen a newspaper really do it. 
but I call it like a, a hybrid model. The hybrid model is pretty much where I will print 50% of my copies for free distribution, which is now allowable by U.S. Postal Law, in the towns where we're less popular via racks. And that way we get some of, um, some of the business that the free newspapers get. Now, I know it's a slippery slope because most free newspapers, let's face it, aren't very good. They're beholden to advertisers and not beholden to the actual readers who pay the bills. So I am aware it's a slippery slope. So I would like to keep the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press a paid circulation, official-ish type newspaper um, and uh, so that it you know, has that, uh, those guidelines, those, uh, the, the uh, moral high ground, I guess, in a way, to, um, to do... Uh, to cover things as needed and to cover actual meetings and things of that nature. That said, a free paper could be a good paper, but just most of them aren't. You know, eventually the realities uh, come to, including the free papers in our region, they're, they're just horrible editorially. They're just, uh, they're just, but they get the ads. They get the ads because they can say, hey, we reach these towns that um, the paid circulation paper only touches. Well, if we have a free paper in those towns, maybe we can say to the car dealer, Yes, we have a dedicated readership in one area, and we have a growing, um, with actual numbers, readership in the other areas. Uh, you know, still, my gut feeling is a lot of people pick up the free papers and don't read them, but, um, but maybe our paper will be different because the other free papers are so poor editorially, this will actually have some news, and eventually someone will be sitting there about to put it in their birdcage or in the fireplace uh, for, uh, to light the fire. And they'll, they'll look at an article and say, oh, that was pretty good, or a comic strip or something. And they'll say, oh, that's pretty good. Maybe I'll actually read this paper before I throw it in the birdcage. So that is, uh, that's the hopes. Those are the hopes and dreams of a small publisher in a small town in upstate New York. Uh, this is the weekly newspaper podcast. I'm not going to end this podcast, but if you are only listening for the um, journalism aspect or the aspect of uh, being a small-town publisher or the business of publications, you can stop now. Uh, what is coming up next is more for our local listeners or if you're really wonkish about it, but I did my, um, and this is another you know example of how technology can help improve your journalism, I did my year in review by actually speaking it and then running it through transcription software getting rid of the filler words so it won't be like this podcast with the ums and you knows. It will have those words cut out. And then I proofread it myself and cut out stuff that I thought wasn't that useful. In any uh, case, following is the recording podcast that I made um, of the year interview for the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press of the year 2023. And that will appear in the paper that is currently hitting. It's you know it has a date of January first, but I've already it's the end of December, and I've already dropped it off at the mailbox uh, the, at the postal um, post office. So it's going out there. Uh, my dogs are getting aggravated. Probably a jogger is going by because it's unseasonably warm. Uh, in any case, uh, if you want to listen to this part, go for it. I apologize that it is in, I use a different diction when I am, uh, when I know something is going to be transcribed. So, 
because it helps the transcription software, which isn't 100% accurate. So you might hear some things in here that are more transcription-based, but, you know, it's still a podcast, and it's about the year in review in our town, and you can see, you know, some of the stories that were big in our town. So that's that. Uh, go to um, our website, journalandpress.com, to get more of these podcasts, or find us on various, like, iTunes and those type places, uh, Stitcher, etc., uh, weekly newspaper podcast is the official name. All right, this is Darren Johnson, publisher of the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press, and um, professor of journalism and uh, owner of a newspaper called Campus News. It hit, hits colleges. Signing off for now, and I'll try to be more regular with these podcasts in 2024. Just I have so many things going on, and it's sometimes easier just to do the things that are right in front of me as opposed to something that's more bigger picture like a podcast. Enjoy. If you're signing off now, that's fine. If you want to hang in there, hang in there. We have four minutes to go. Hey, it's Darren Johnson, Greenwich Journal and Salem Press. This is the time of year where we review what happened the previous year. So um, our January 1st issue of last year, we come out twice a month, had a, um, of course, it had a year in review from the previous year. Um, but also, it talked about restoring Main Street um, and some Restore New York grants that the village is receiving. Uh, later in the year, the town and village completed a comprehensive plan and a lot of the monies that um, will be received from this Restore New York grant uh, can be implemented in the year 2024 as the comprehensive plan will be implemented. And there also was a story from the town of Argyle on the right to farm law and what to do with animals that roam uh, from one property to the next, livestock. And, um, and then the year interview. All right, our mid-month issue in January detailed, um, profiled Darren Smith, 37, a personal trainer who took office in the village of Argyle last year as mayor. And he, um, it's a colorful pro profile of the mayor of a very small village in our area. We also profile Main Street and a thrift store called Hidden Treasures that was going out of business. And it opened up a conversation about traffic on Main Street and whether Main Street and Greenwich um, can lure enough customers to, for a business to make a go of it. Our early February issue talked about some Schuylerville students who created a program to um, create greeting cards for local elderly and others in our area who may not get a lot of greeting cards and not a lot of human contact. Um, also, the Greenwich girls basketball team was profiled. They had a 
perfect record up until this point in time. And um, two players, Nana Rojas and Nora Neitz, they had combined uh, for over 2,000 career points. Also, Schuylerville's annual Winter Gala returned. Our mid-February issue profiled the Fort Salem Theater that had been taken over by Kyle West and um, who breathed new life into this theater and they put on shows all year long. It's become a popular addition to the town of Salem. Also, we do we caught up with Bound by ba Bound by Fate Brewery in Schuylerville, who was up to uh, having their third anniversary by then. Greenwich Supervisor Jim Nolan offered his State of the Town, and that's detailed. Highlights include. Um, Brownfield and a town hall engineering study, a waterline study, a look at cannabis dispensaries and lounges, uh, the Hudson Riverside Park project, summer youth program, veterans banners, and more. Our early March issue brought up the Jalik Rainwalker 2007 missing person case. A local journalist from the Times Union, Wendy Liberatore, uh, made a podcast and um, also a panel was hosted at the Greenwich Free Library called The Future of Local News. And we detail that event and the, um, and the podcast about the missing person case. We also have features on walkability in town and etiquette and we also had the passing of Thomas David Bullard who uh, was best known locally uh, for his keeping of the Marshall House in Schuylerville where they would hold events and um, share local history. The late March issue covered the state of local news, an event that happened at the Greenwich Free Library. We also profiled upcoming village elections. 
in area towns. And we had lots of letters in that issue. Our early April edition went in-depth into Riverside Park along the Hudson River. It's a town property, and um, which has faced some scrutiny because it's a more sparsely populated part of the town, and much of the town's population lives uh, to the east of it. Um, but it was a property, a 3.3-acre property, acquired by the town, and there are plans to make it a destination similar to Hudson Crossing Park, which is across the river in Northumberland. Uh, columnist Michael Levy also goes deep into the world of the Star Trek exhibit in Ticonderoga. Columns discuss everything from politics to religion to the funny pages. And a letter to the editor debates the Cambridge Indian mascot debate. Our second half of April issue talks about an historic area homes renovation on, along the Batten Kill River off of Mill Road in Greenwich. The home is owned by Bethany Moss Parks, and it has been dubbed the Mill Hollow Project. Um, this issue also does a deep dive into Main Street, Greenwich, and how there are many, uh, or there were anyway, many abandoned storefronts at the time. Um, we have a profile of Eagle Scout Brian Wells, 18. Our early May issue talks about the untimely loss of 20-year-old Kaylin Gillis of Schuylerville, who was shot uh, after entering the wrong driveway in Hebron. The criminal case is still ongoing. but a large percentage of the community showed up for a vigil to remember the 20-year-old. We also delve into the timber harvest that the village of Greenwich 
was contracting for um, on the Hayes Reservoir property, also known as Thunder Mountain, off of North Road in the village of Greenwich. Our mid-May issue focused on a fact-gathering event at Hudson Riverside Park on May 13th where local officials held an input session for members of the community not only on the future of the park, but on the comprehensive plan for the village and town of Greenwich. We also catch up with the Washington County Dairy Princess program, uh, which had named a new Dairy Princess team. We look at Schuylerville School District's launch of a program called Unified Sports, which is affiliated with the Special Olympics and allows um, people uh, who aren't necessarily varsity athletes to participate in a program that's similar to varsity athletics where they play at other schools in the area. Our early June issue tried something different. I sat down with columnist Mike Levy and we recorded a podcast and we turned it into a Q&A article that spanned several pages of the newspaper and it was actually a, a somewhat popular edition a lot of people mentioned to me that they enjoyed it uh, it talked about uh, the Baton Kill Valley in a very uh, overreaching way with some very specific topics mentioned it also detailed the Greater Greenwich Chamber of Commerce's new board of directors. Our mid-June issue talked about the upcoming festival season, which started with the Whipple City Festival and previewed that. On the political front, 
It was petition season for the various candidates. And we detailed some people who were previously party stalwarts in the Republican Party who were spurned and not given their party's designation uh, and went off and created their own independent bodies to run for office, one of whom was Lance Wang, who was running for supervisor in White Creek, comma, a position he would eventually win, and incumbent town or county clerk Stephanie Cronin who was forced to run on a minor party line only Wang was also given the democratic line in his town period columnist Kate Sauceville wrote about why Main Street struggles. We also detailed the Democratic slate running for town board in Greenwich. In our early July issue, We detailed the Republican slate, which brought back former Supervisor Don Ward to challenge the incumbent who had beaten him by only 14 votes, Jim Nolan. Also running was incumbent Jeff Duxbury and Zoning Board Chair Don Schartz. We also sat down with Argyle Supervisor Bob Henke and talked about immigration and how it affects our area. So that was a pretty political issue. Our mid-July issue... talks about Greenwich going green and actually uh, it was on a color page so I did the words green in Greenwich and green in the color green um, and plans for solar farms in the area uh, in conjunction with a company called Borolex. Also surprising to many um, Town clerk of Greenwich, Kimberly Whelan, announced she was leaving the area with her family. Uh, her husband had gotten a new job, so she no longer was going to be town clerk. And we also mentioned the new town clerk to be appointed by the Democratic board would be Deborah Sharks. T-J-A-R-K-S. 
period. He's currently serving and ran unopposed later in the year. Our August edition, the first one of August, um, a little bit of a lighter issue. Uh, a There was a casting call. Todd Teal, a local mental health advocate, was filming at the Salem Historic Courthouse a scene from a educational film based on Batman, and he's a comic book aficionado, so that was something he was deeply interested in. We also spoke to Greenwich Central School District Superintendent Dr. Jennifer Steinle, um, who reflected on her first year in the role um, in charge of the large school district. Also announced was the Greenwich Free Library was offering training and education about Narcan and harm reduction. Our mid-July issue detailed a local landmark restoration expert, Aaron Northrup, who owns a company called Custom Curiosities. He's a expert in um, in such designs. He's a union renovation um, person who does this as a, a sidelight, and he restored the Good Shepherd statue in Glens Falls. Um, Northrop is based in Greenwich. And we talk about events that are capping off the summer, like the cardboard boat race. We also detailed that Kenneth Faison would be the new superintendent of the Cambridge School District. Our early September issue talks about marijuana, cannabis in our area and how it's legal and local. You can buy it in at the old Sir, Saratoga Mercantile, a farm and general store in Schuylerville. It's still available there, cash only, and uh, bring your ID. So uh, we detailed that. And we also detailed uh, a um, part of the Washington County Fair uh, exhibit, um, a type of goat called a kinder goat. And Leslie Green Witham's passion for them. We also profiled Aiden Armitage, 18, who had been honored as an Eagle Scout in Greenwich. Around this time, we started to see political ads in the newspaper as that season was ramping up. Also, lots of letters 
our mid-September issue, it was a good news issue. Good news for Greenwich. A new business opens on Main Street. A big food donation for the pantry. And a number one school ranking um, for the school district in Greenwich. Also, we profiled a medical miracle of a local person who received a kidney donation just in time. And that person was Claire Houston. We also profile lots of fall events that are about to happen. Our early October issue talks about the new turf field and sports complex at Greenwich Schools, which came in at $3.3 million. It received rave reviews. We also profiled a new dedicated bridge and comfort food community and also local country musician Marty Wendell. Our mid-October issue was devoted to a Meet the Candidates event that this newspaper hosted on October 12th. The event brought members of the community to Greenwich High School Auditorium for a Q&A. However, it was most notable that only Democratic Party candidates and Independent Party candidate Stephanie Cronin showed up for the debate. We also profiled a new event which was quite popular and well attended called Touch a Truck at the Traffic Circle in Greenwich, sponsored by Batten Kill Community Services. And we also talk about comfort food communities, new plans as the holidays were about to approach. Our late October issue, well, that was late October, our early November issue, we gave space to candidates who, we gave each candidate 400 words. They can say whatever they wanted with their photo in the paper to help people decide who they wanted to vote for because election day was November 7th. And many candidates took advantage of that but a couple of candidates on the Republican side in the town of Greenwich did not. We received lots of election-related letters. And we also profiled that Paint the Town Purple, sponsored by the Lundies, Brianna and Reed Lundy, raised $24,000. And that would benefit 
Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Our mid-November issue. was our tractor parade issue. We decided to print in a different size format and print lots of extras for people to attend Greenwich's signature event. And it gave out a lot of information um, about the event, a lot of its history. And hopefully this becomes a staple publication for years to come as the event becomes more and more popular. This year's Tractor Parade did end up becoming um, its most popular ever with about 10,000 people attending and well over 70 tractors participating. We also detail who won the election. Well, turns out that the candidates that did participate in the debate and did participate in the, um, in their own words, um, edition of the paper where they were allowed to send in 400 word statements about themselves. They did win. They ran a more energetic campaign and, um, and obviously the voters responded, um, with a near 10%, um, difference between the winning Democratic ticket of incumbent Jim Nolan, incumbent Pat Donahue, and newcomer Reed Anderson um, winning in Greenwich Town. In Salem, Lance Wang easily won his... Actually, that's in White Creek. In White Creek, Lance Wang easily won his bid for supervisor, despite not being on the Republican ticket. However, incumbent county clerk Stephanie Cronin did not do well overall in the county and lost her bid against newcomer Lisa Boyce. Cronin, however, did do well in towns that actually had newspapers and news presences and won those towns despite only being on a minor party line. Our first issue of December, actually a pretty good one, we detailed what happened during the tractor parade. We were on the roof of Wally's and recorded it uh, live and broadcasted it live with commentary and got lots of views. And we detailed how big of an event it was. It was a record-breaking event. 
the town and village comprehensive plan was adopted and discussed by town supervisor Jim Nolan and village mayor Pam Fuller in, of Greenwich and what it means for our area. Implementation will largely take place starting in 2024. And we also did an interesting profile on a person who helps track lost dogs. And our last issue of the year in late December, we profiled the Auction Barn Restaurant, its new proprietors, and what they feel um, they're facing in a struggling economy, especially a struggling restaurant economy, and how they plan to um, keep going and do well in 2024. And also we we start to dig into high school basketball season. We discuss changes coming to this newspaper, including that we will have at least one free edition per month, uh, an e-newsletter, and a deeper website in the year 2024. We talk about area birders, people who like to um, be on the trail of local bird wildlife and f photograph and video them. And we devoted extra pages in this issue and our first issue of January to our popular Through the Decades column where we take snippets from issues uh, from the past 180 years that happened on the same date as the paper, give or take, and, um, and show us our history, how we've evolved. We also have the second part of a series called Ways to Give Back by Debbie Anderson, and it talks about all the ways you can volunteer in our community to make the community a better place. So... That's it. 24 big issues took place in the year 2023. We're going to have 24 more in the year 2024, but also lots of changes coming as we um, re-examine our business model and not only have our paid circulation printed newspaper, but also add a free newspaper uh, for other towns outside of Greenwich and also an e-newsletter enhanced website, maybe some more podcasts, and um, some other amenities as the year moves forward. We wish you a very happy new year and a very prosperous one. Thank you for reading the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press.